I want to redirect you in the scriptures now to the first epistle of John, chapter 4, as we begin to contemplate what this ride into Jerusalem and the implications of that actually are to us, and why this day does have such important meaning to us. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one right there in the pew in front of you. Um, the first, uh, first John is in the back, almost the very back of the book of the Bible. Uh, go back to Revelation, which is the last book, and turn about two more pages in front of that, and you'll find First John. Well, it'd have to be three more pages because you've got Third John, Second John, and then First John. Okay, you get the point. It's right there. All else fails, you can do what your pastor does. I look in the table of contents, um, and I can get there pretty quickly when I do that and look really smart. So feel free to do that as well. I was reading a story about Abraham Lincoln when he was um, running for presidential office, when he was campaigning for office, and uh, kind of reminded me of Palm Sunday a little bit. I'll make that connection in just a minute. But uh, as he was campaigning, he was interviewed by a newspaper, and he was asked about his opponents, and he was asked about Buchanan. And he said, well, I'm not really concerned about Buchanan because he's from the South, and the North will never vote for a Southerner. Apparently, only that's something you guys got going on with Southerners. Um, and he said, you know, but I'm, not, I'm also not really worried about Douglas either because the South will never vote for Douglas. He said, let me tell you who it is that I am worried about. I'm worried about that guy named Lincoln. If there's anybody that's going to do me in, it's that guy, the one in the mirror. He's the one that I don't have a lot of confidence in. You know, that's a true story for many of us. I was amazed that Lincoln, and if you read his memoirs, you'll find that Lincoln oftentimes was praying prayers, Lord, give me strength, Lord, have, let me have confidence. And here's the President of the United States during a time of great turmoil in our country and great division in our country who's praying for self-confidence, who's praying for guidance, who's praying for God to come in and be bigger than what he is. You see, that's not unique to Abraham Lincoln. The problem is us. The problem that I have is me. And possibly the problem that you have is yourself. I'm going to ask a big question out of these verses this morning. The big question is this. What's the point of Palm Sunday? What's the point of Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Why would Jesus be so intentional and so reliable? And what I mean by that is so uh, understanding his purpose in his life to ride into Jerusalem and knowing the certainty of his execution that is about to happen. For Jesus, there was no ambivalence about what his destiny was going to be when he entered into Jerusalem this time. He had already heard the rumors. He had already heard the backbiting. He had already heard the column, the conversations that happened around the columns of the temple. He had heard the people. He had heard his disciples. He had heard those who follow him say, don't go there. Don't do that. The leaders have it in for you. 
They want you dead. And they will kill you. Why would he do that? Well, the same reason he would do it again today for you. And for me. Because the problem is this. You and I live in a land of occupation. Just like they did. You may think, we're not occupied. We're a free people. But don't you remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees? When he told them that they were slaves? And they said, we're not slaves. We're slaves to no one. Our father is Abraham. It's with that same pride sometimes we refuse to look in the mirror. We refuse to give an evaluation of ourselves and realize there are many things I'm occupied by. There are many places I'm enslaved. It's a real problem that each and every one of us has. Why? Because of sin. Sin has caused you and me to rely upon ourselves often to be our own saviors. And thereby attempting to be the saviors, our savior of all of the rest of us. You see, if I believe that I'm the savior, what's my proclivity? I have to save you too. And if that's true, and I realize deep down in my heart, I can't do that. I don't know how to save you. Because the truth is, I really don't know how to save myself. Then guess what happens next? We're controlled by fear. Fears of the flesh and hopelessness. Which manifest their rule over us. By exploiting every insecurity that you and I might have. Bringing it to the forefront. So that our confidences are eroded. And we live in the shadows of a fake performance. Let me narrow that problem down as best I can. We live in a land of occupation. We're occupied because of our sin and we're controlled by our fears, which manifest in our insecurities so that our confidence in God and what He's doing is eroded away and we live in the shadow of performance. What's that mean? That means I need to make myself right. And my only way of doing it, that is to control you and make you right too. It's a pretty bleak picture. Really? All of us trying to control each other. All of us trying to control every event. All of us scurrying to put up our images in front of each other. So that you'll never know how really insecure I am. Because if life manifests an insecurity in me, guess who cannot ever see that? You. If life manifests an insecurity in you, guess who you don't want to see it? Us. And so what do we do? 
we put up fronts and we try to control the situation. It's a horrible way to have to live. Because that's life in fear. Fear of being found out and fear of not being good enough and fear that I have no confidence in what God has done for me. Right? So what's the solution to this awful problem? The solution is this. You and I must believe in the intentional and confident ride of Jesus, not only into Jerusalem, but into our own lives. The Jerusalem of our own hearts. Because of God's love, not just for you, but God's love for keeping His own promises. And His revealed nature of His love for you to ride a blood to a bloody death to secure yours and my restoration forever. You see, when Matthew looks back at prophet Zechariah's prophecy about the one coming, riding on the, a fold, a baby donkey. And for you and I, it seems like an odd thing, and some of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating. It wasn't odd for them to see someone riding on a baby donkey into a town, someone of royalty, someone of majesty. Kings did that all the time. It was common practice. And what it meant was if, if your king came on a baby donkey, it meant your king was coming in peace. If your king came on a horse, it means grab your spear because you're going to war. In this case, you and I see the king, the prince of peace, coming to us, riding into Jerusalem, proclaiming peace. Not between Rome and Israel and not between the problems of occupation that those people will experience in themselves, but a larger and much more significant peace. Peace between God and you. In the like manner, Jesus this morning rides into your Jerusalem and the places where you and I are occupied. And we cry, Hosanna, come, God, save us. And yet for that to happen, you and I must understand there has to be a bloody death. When Jesus rode in, fulfilling that prophecy hundreds of years before it would happen. He was riding in knowing the need that the people had, but also knowing the people could never recognize their own need. And it would require his death. Let me give you a principle to write down. There can never be a resurrection without death. There can never be the resurrection, there can never be Easter Day without Good Friday. And there could have never been Good Friday without Palm Sunday. It's true for you and I as well. 
Jesus coming into our heart is our Palm Sunday. We must realize that we must put to death our sin upon Him so that our hearts are resurrected with Him. This is the beginning of that process that we remember that every believer should recall, that every believer should meditate upon significantly. How are we restored? And I want to give you three ways. These are sort of big picture, and I'll bring them down to small picture. First is confidence in God's love. In the 13th verse of the fourth chapter of the first epistle of John, John explains the love that drove Jesus to ride into this bloody death. He says this in verse 13. He says, by this, talking about the love of God, by this we know. Now that word know is an interesting word. It's a broad word. It's a word that means intimate. It's a word that means an intimate knowledge. That not only does we know in our head, but we also know in our heart. We know that this knowledge has been imparted to us in a deep and a profound way that it begins in this knowledge to make up the character of who we are and who we are becoming. It's the same word that's used in the way that a husband and a wife know one another on their honeymoon. It's about as delicate as I can get it out there. But understand, it's that kind of knowledge it's that kind of knowing of one another. It says, by this knowledge, understand this, that God's knowledge of you and His desire for you to know Him is a desire of intimacy. Yes, it's transcendent. It's beyond our understanding. It's so magnificent we can't get our hands around it. It's so omnipotent and all-powerful that there's no way we can control it. We have to receive it. Luther would say we must receive it as the ground receives rain. The ground does nothing but sit there and rain deluges on the ground to feed it. That's the same way that it's talking about we know the love of God like we're the ground and God's love is raining down deluging upon us. So that we know this, we have this intimate knowledge, we have this intimate relationship, understanding this, that as we abide in Him, in other words, as we understand, we grow in that knowledge of who God is and how much He loves us, He abides in us. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that good to have confidence in knowing that as we're growing in knowing God, he is deeper and deeper within us. And we can have confidence that that's working. He says because He has given birth to us, given us the birth of His Spirit. And, and we have seen, verse 14, we have seen and we testify that the Father sent His Son, the Savior of the world, that whoever would confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God does abide in Him and He in God. You see, it's not based on anything you've done. It's not based on anything I've done. It's not based on my insecurities or my securities. It's not based on my confidence or my lack of confidence. It's not based on my efforts or my lack of efforts. 
It is based upon the mercy of God that comes to us like the ground and deluges his water, the water of his love upon us. And that we receive it solely by the means of grace and passively receive his righteousness. Because I didn't ask for the son. I didn't tell God to send the son. I didn't even tell God I needed the son. In fact, we as a people for a long, long time have done completely the opposite. And we have told God, don't be part of us. Stay out of our kingdom. We want a king like the world. Stay out of our lives. I want to rule my own life. Stay out of our church. We want to run our own church. Stay out of our schools. We want to run our own schools. Stay out of our government because we want our own government. God, stay out of my wallet because I want to control my own budget. Stay out of my doctor's office, God, because I want to control everything. Stay out of my relationship with that person I do not like. Because I don't want it redeemed. God, stay out of my future. I'll control my own future. In spite of all that, it says, even though I didn't want him to send, God sent. I had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. I was completely opposed to the idea. But God sent him. So that we come and we know and to believe the love that God has for us. Even when I was rejecting Jesus, even when I was rejecting God's love for me, God said, I will continue to show you and deluge you in the love that I have for you until you come to the place where you know that I love you. You can have confidence in that kind of love. Well, not only can you have confidence in God's love for you that's transcendent and intimate, but you can have confidence in our connection to God. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love perfected within us so that we may, what? Have confidence for the day of judgment. I know what some of you think sometimes because as much as you may hate to admit it, you're like me. And I know what I think sometimes. Can it really be that easy? Can it really be that we're just supposed to love one another? Isn't there more than I'm supposed to do? How, aren't I supposed to do something? Because after all, there's that big judgment throne that's coming. And God is, you know, remember God's got a big screen, right? And he's going to list all the things I did wrong and all the things I did right. And he's going he's gonna, to, on that judgment throne, point to all the things I did wrong. Right? And, and tell me I should have done better. Right? Wrong. 
No such thing's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a lover of Jesus and a lover of people. You do not have to be afraid. The throne is the place where you will receive the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the kingdom of my joy. Because it's not about how well you do things. It's about how you believe how much God has done things for you. It's not about how great you grasp deep truths of theology. It's about how you realize the love of God has grabbed you. It isn't about your bank account. It isn't about your education. It isn't about how smart or how well you do things. It's about God and His wisdom and His mercy and how He has grabbed hold of you for Himself. Because with His perfection and with the perfection of His judgment, the perfection of His will, and the perfection of His mercy, and the perfection of His everlasting covenant that He had made with those who went before us, He perfectly loves you and perfectly loves me and perfectly and intentionally and confidently rode into Jerusalem to a bloody death to secure the love of God the Father for me and for you forever. Oh, Palm Sunday, come again. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Ride in and make us new. Transform our hearts with your perfect love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Here it is. Because fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. At that level, it's good. All's good. But the Spirit's going to take it deeper here. So hold on. Not only do we have confidence in God's love for us and confident in our connection to God, but be confident that He's commanded us to respond. In the same way that He commanded His Son, His Son responded. He commands us and we too must respond. It says that we love because He first loved us. There's the response. We are to love because He first loved us. As He has loved us, we respond with love to one another. I want to go back for just a second when it says, if you confess in your heart. Understand that that's a community confessional. So that in verse 15, whoever confessed, that word confess means not only confess individually to God, but also we work out that confession in community. 
We love, we work out that confession in community because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. Pause. If anyone says that he loves God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. That is an inextricable, um, undoable truth about being a follower of Jesus. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was a ride of confidence. It wasn't a ride in the confidence of who we were, but Jesus rode in in the confidence he had within himself to be able to love you and I. And transform us who would believe and follow him into fellow lovers of one another. You can say, well, I don't, I don't hate Remember last week when we talked about the highest form of hate being indifference? That I don't even, I don't even care enough about you to dislike you? You know, it's right there. At where do I get that? You're either hot or you're cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's the same principle. We can't sit here and worship God today and tell God how much we love Him and expect to be transformed by the power of His love if we're hating one another. And if we're not truly sacrificing from ourselves, dying to ourselves, crucifying our own nature, crucifying our own needs, our own wants, our own agendas, so that we may encourage and edify and lift one another up, don't you understand there's a conflict of truth there? And Palm Sunday is the place of all places that we should stand and repent and say, Jesus, ride in and ride in humbly and ride into my heart and ride in and crucify me to myself so that I may live for you. Let this begin the week for you and for me. Of repentance. Of repentance of indifference towards one another. Of repentance of anger. Of repentance of criticism and critical hearts. How do I know the difference between a critical heart and a heart of criticism? 
It's easy. If I'm thinking critically and I want things to be better, I encourage. I edify. I lift up. I think of good solutions. If I have a critical heart, I tear down. I belittle. I murmur and I gossip. And I try to build myself up with other people. cannot confess with your lips that you love God and hate your neighbor. It's a lie. Palm Sunday is the truth. That you can have confidence that God has loved you. And confidence that he came to have an intimate relationship with you and I. And confident that he's given us a command for us to follow. And that as we begin this week, it's a week of repentance. It's a week of saying, yes, Lord, you're right. I will move into love. Because I love you is because you loved me first. So I will love others. So I saw this the other day. Anybody remember the comedian Emo? Didn't think so. Should have taken credit myself for it. He was writing about he was talking about how he came into came into this conversation the two men were having about being Christians. One Christian said to the other, he said, You Catholic or Protestant? I said, well, I'm Protestant. He goes, so am I. He said, what flavor? Presbyterian or Baptist? Oh, I'm Baptist. So am I. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Oh, Northern. Me too. It's so good to be together. Are you Northern Baptist at the Great Lake Northern Conference of 1879? Are you the Northern Baptist of the Great Lake Southern Con- or Northern Conference of 1912? He said, I'm from 1912. He goes, you're a heretic. <laughs> Don't let the little things keep you from loving. Don't let small things keep you from having unity with one another. And in comparison, the the love of God has for you, everything's small. Let's pray.